want us to walk through life breathing, shopping, growing old, and missing out on the true reality of the resurrected life of Jesus being lived out and through our lives. The reason this is important to me is because I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and I know exactly what it's like to be alive, but I'm really dead. That's my own personal experience. Most young kids, when asked to pick out a present for someone else, choose something that they would want for themselves. That's just where they're at, self-focused. As Pastor Daniel teaches today, we'll consider the areas in our lives where we still choose what we want, even when we know the Father has instructed us differently. We need the Spirit to help us grow up from our selfishness. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 21, with his continuing study entitled, The Missing Link. There is eternal truths in this world. And just because our culture says, well, I can develop my own truth, doesn't mean that that's a reality. I guarantee you, you know, it's funny. If you think about your grandparents, and no matter what age you are, you can think about your grandparents. Don't you think about the things that they believed and you think to yourself, how is it possible that they could believe something so absurd? Right? You think about the way, I mean, my mother was the first person in her family to get a college degree. And, and she was the first person in her family to get an advanced degree. And she had aunts, in-laws who said, you'll be a terrible mother because you're educated. We think that that's a little nuts, right? As if education, you know, is disproportionate with being a good, loving parent. But guess what? A lot of our grandparents believe that. I guarantee you, that our grandkids are going to think to ourselves, how in the world did they think that truth was relative? How in the, is there anything more philosophically indefensible than such a position? Because there's truth all around us at every corner. God cares about the truth so much that he wants the truth to live within us. Jesus is talking about truth all the time. Didn't he just say in John 14, I am the way the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. I mean, it's a great thing to believe that every road will lead to the top. But it's not the truth. Because if it was the truth, then Jesus would never have died on a cross in the first place. The Spirit is truth. But it's, but He's truth eternally. Eternally indwelling. Look at these verses here. It's beautiful. In verse 16, he says, he will abide with you forever. In verse 17, he will dwell with you and be in you. And in verse 18, it shows why. Because Jesus cares for his people. The spirit of truth will abide with you forever. He will dwell with you and be in you. This is different from what had been going on in the Bible before. 
In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would visit people at a specific time for a specific work. You get, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon somebody to do something very specific. So in the Old Testament, the goal was visitation. But in the New Testament, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, the goal is not visitation, it is habitation. And you and I, we shouldn't be content with just a visitation of the Holy Spirit, but we want our lives to be a holy habitation where the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us forever. This is true spirituality, brothers and sisters. Listen, this is real spiritual living. It's not, listen, I get a couple goosebumps when I hear the, the breaking of the waves and, and, and you know, when I'm in the quietness of nature, I finally can hear my own thoughts rather than the, you know, the ticker tape thoughts of my culture. True spirituality is when the eternal, true and living creator God chooses to take up residence in the hearts of people. For many of us, we just want the visitation, don't we? We just want the, the chills in the worship service. Aren't we selling short the purposes for which Jesus died if we're not willing to be a habitation? That the Spirit of God may dwell richly in us. That He may take the title of the homes of our hearts and decorate it however he wants to. That he may come and say, look, this is my purpose in your life. This is what I have for you. This is true spirituality. This is the abundant life that Jesus spoke about. But where are we at? When was the last time you said, Holy Spirit, this life is yours? Overhaul what you will. I mean, for a lot of us, we just want the Holy Spirit to go get a cup of coffee most of the time. Just give us a little privacy, you know? I got this thing I want to do. You know, Holy Spirit, why don't you go to the grocery store? I'm going to stay here and do dumb things on my computer, watch movies that aren't getting me anywhere. Be involved in things I ought not to be involved in. The Holy Spirit is truth eternally indwelling. Now, in the middle of verse 17, we learn something else. Look at what it says. It says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, if you also look at verse 27, you get a similar concept. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In the middle of verse 17 and in verse 27, we realize that the Spirit is a distinction maker. The Spirit is a distinction maker. What I mean by that is this, and this frustrates 21st century Western culture, where the culture doesn't like to make distinctions. And in a lot of ways, the reason we don't like to make distinctions is because we have an overarching entitlement mindset. All of the research coming out of the sociological field and the psychological field, all is dealing with the excessive entitlement and narcissism of 21st century Western culture. When we hear entitlements, of course, we put it into political terms right now, right? It's like some of you, if you're, if you're exceedingly conservative, you're like, oh yeah, entitlement, those occupiers, 
you know, and, and the big government entitlement stuff. Entitlement means that you just deserve it by nature of who you are. And most Americans believe that their entrance into the life of God and heaven comes just by nature of being human. It's textbook entitlement. But Jesus will never allow that position. He'll never allow you to say, listen, you're human. There's this place for you at the table. Over and over again, he makes the distinction. He makes the distinction. He says, look, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because the world is not on the spirit's wavelength. So there is a distinction that's made. And I'm going to say this as clearly and as pointedly as I can. And for those of you who know me, you know that I never have a problem doing that. Just like kind of laying it right out there. Just like, let's get to the brass tacks of this thing is, look, you are either in the spirit or you're in the flesh. There is no gray area. Jesus said, you either gather with me or what? Or you scatter. In the parable of uh, the gates, right? You either enter through the narrow gate or you enter through the wide gate. And this is an important distinction because the Spirit of God is a distinction maker. And we have to ask ourselves, is our lives the reality that we are either the Spirit's or we are not. And for some of us, we have to be careful because we know that we're born again, but we're making decisions that have no bearing on the reality of the Spirit. In the book of Ephesians, that's called grieving the Holy Spirit, where you have the Spirit indwelling you and you're decorating your house in a completely different way. The Spirit of God makes a distinction between those who are God's and those who are not. Now, in verse 19, as we continue, look at what it says. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Man, you see what it says at the end of verse 19? Because I live, you will live also. The Spirit unifies us with life. The Spirit unifies us with life. This is teaching something very important for us. Remember I just said that the Spirit makes distinctions? And now I say the Spirit unifies us with life. There is, you guys remember the movie, The Night of the Living Dead? You guys remember that? I don't remember it. It was a little bit before my time. But you guys remember Thriller, Michael Jackson? Yeah. See, we have this idea that in those movies, there are people who are dead, but they're alive, and they're walking around, and in Michael Jackson's case, they're dancing and getting their groove on. You know what I'm talking about? There is a way to be human that it's as if you're living, your heart is beating, you're talking, you're walking, you're shopping, but you're really dead. And then there is what Jesus talks about, because I live, you will live also. This is the distinction between being a non-Christian and being a Christian, or having a normal life as you can have it, and having the life that God has ordained for us in Christ, the abundant life. And Jesus does not want us to walk through life 
breathing, shopping, growing old, and missing out on the true reality of the resurrected life of Jesus being lived out and through our lives. The reason this is important to me is because I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and I know exactly what it's like to be alive, but I'm really dead. That's my own personal experience. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. When I was in college, it was like, you know, I was living the American dream as I understood it. I was in a good college. I came from a good family. I was a musician and people thought I was hot stuff, you know, and I surely thought I was hot stuff. You know, I was like the guy who before I left the house, I looked in the mirror. I'm like, yeah, you guys do that too. I know you do. (laughs) Man, I look good today. People are going to be stoked to see me. But every single day when I got home, I thought to myself, can this be it, really? Just another gig, meet another pretty girl, same group of friends, no depth. See, I didn't get saved when I hit rock bottom. I got saved hitting rock top. It was all happening. But every day I'm like, you know, I'm alive, but this can't be life. This can't be all there is. See, True spirituality is not just doing whatever you want and calling it spiritual. True spirituality is letting the Spirit of God unite us with the reality of the resurrected life of Jesus. Jesus living and promoting his resurrected life through our lives. That's why we're called the body of Christ, isn't it? Because Jesus wants our hearts so that he can push his reality into the world through a group of people. The Spirit of God unites us with real life. And I don't know about you, but I want that. I mean, life is an important thing, isn't it? We do everything we can to try and prolong our lives. And Jesus is saying, look, because I live you live also. And he unites us just as he is united with his father. We are united with him through the ministry of the spirit. Now, as we continue, remember I skipped verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you look at verse 21, look, he goes back to the same concept. He says this, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the love which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. In verse 15 and in these three verses, verses 21 to 24, we learn that the Spirit promotes love experienced through obedience. The Spirit promotes love experienced through obedience. Now, this is really important because when you think about the way love is expressed in our culture, most of the love that we express is just sentimentality. See, that great English theologian, John Lennon, 
spoke the reality this way. Brilliant songwriting. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love of. And then love is all you need. Great. I just flipped brilliant songwriting. It's great. Reverse it, flip it around. But you know what's amazing? All the love that John Lennon was talking about did not keep the Beatles together. How is that possible? Because oftentimes love is a sentiment. I love you, man. Yeah, I love you. True love is not only a sentiment or a feeling, but it's an action. And that's why I say here that the Spirit promotes love through obedience. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do the things that I desire. And the reality is is that if you love somebody, you will do the things that will bless them. Like I think about my wife, and imagine this, and it's not the truth, but imagine if my wife did not love Mexican food. I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm just using it as a hypothetical. And imagine it's her birthday. Oh, no, even better yet, it's our anniversary. It's our anniversary. I say, oh, Lynn, I love you. And I made you enchilada pie. I make me a lousy husband, right? I mean, what kind of a husband will make food for his wife that she hates? If I love my wife and I know if she really likes, you know, like a nice filet mignon, let's say. If I love her, I'm going to say, sweetie, I made you filet mignon. Right? But how many of us in our spiritual lives, Jesus says, hey, this is what I want for you. And we just show up with enchiladas for him. I mean, let's be honest. It's so easy to know what Jesus says and do the exact opposite, isn't it? See, one of the Spirit's job is to promote love in our hearts through simple obedience to what the Word would have. And I know right now in each one of our hearts, there are things that were, and it's different for all of us, there's areas in all of our lives where there is a lack of obedience. Where we know what God would have, but we're doing something different. We know what God's word says, but we're making another decision. And the spirit is saying, listen, I want something else for you. I have something more for you. I want you to walk in such a way that brings glory and honor to my name. And this area of your life is unbecoming for you. And if that's going on in our lives, all God simply asks from us is to repent. That's the biblical word for acknowledging that we're going the wrong way and choosing another way. And the reality is, is that repentance was the very first word of the gospel that Jesus ever proclaimed. And guess what? We never get past that. Sure, we repent one time unto salvation where we give our lives to Jesus. I repent of my self-lived life and Lord, I give you my life. But then every single day, we also repent unto sanctification. Every day in our growth and grace. Because if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, even though you love him, you still think about all terrible things that you want to do. You know, I once heard it said by a pastor, God loves his people and I'm working on it. And I appreciated that reality because isn't that true? The person that you're married to, God loves them, but you're working on it. And in all the ways that you don't love them, you need to repent of that. And all the ways that you feel about somebody 
in contradistinction to the way God feels about them. You like that? Contradistinction. That's a good one. In contradistinction to the way God feels about them, you need to repent. You need to turn from your own way of feeling and turn to the way God feels. And that is where growth comes. That is our job. But it's the Spirit's job to point us to the reality of the love that he would have for us and the ways that we're being disobedient. So we respond to the Spirit's promptings. And listen what 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Ouch! When you read, doesn't it hurt a little bit? I'm going to read that again. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And how can we say, I love God and hate our brothers? Oh. Not only that, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love and then joy and peace and long-suffering. The Spirit wants to promote radical love in and through our lives, in deeds, not just in sentiment, in deeds. Now, as we move to verse 26, it says this, or in verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Look at that. The Spirit's character is holy. How many times have you said the Holy Spirit and never thought about that? That the Spirit's character is holiness. See, character is very important to God. They say that reputation is what people think you are. Character is who God knows that you are. That's a good one, isn't it? Reputation is what people think that you are. Character is who God knows that you are. And the Spirit's character is holiness or holy. Holy means other, distinct, set apart. And this is, I think, of extreme importance to us because we know, of course, that God is holy, the Father. Jesus is holy. That's why he was an acceptable sacrifice. Now we find out that the Spirit is holy. If you ask people in America, what is the most important thing about being alive? Would they say being holy? No, they'd say what? Being happy. Statistically, we learn that in America, people are more concerned with happiness than money, although they think money will give them happiness. They're more concerned with happiness than even going to heaven. But know what the problem is? This is the problem, that happiness is an outgrowth of holiness. Happiness is not a virtue to be sought after. It is the byproduct of holiness. I don't know how many times I've had a married couple who's going through a hard time. And listen, for those of you who are going through a hard time in your marriage, it's very common. So don't think that you're the only one who's going through. I mean, my pastor used to say, my pastor John Henry Corkin used to say, being married's like two porcupines trying to snuggle. Jesus is real. If we allow it, the Holy Spirit will work to point us in the direction we should go. God wants us to rely on Him and Him alone. 
we heard about a specific commandment to love one another, which is shown by what we do, not what we say. We are so happy that you're a part of our Jesus is Real radio family. Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported radio program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. We're asking for your support to expand into new territory so even more listeners can hear the message of Jesus. Your generous donation of any amount will help, whether you partner with us as a monthly supporter or if you're simply giving a one-time gift that God puts on your heart today. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Or donate online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. You can mail a check to Jesus Is Real Radio at 7708 NE78 Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Thank you for your generosity and thank you for listening to Jesus Is Real Radio. We all want to be happy, but as we'll hear in this next message, that's not the goal of our lives. It's an easy cop-out when we want out of relationships or jobs that we're not happy with. Pastor Daniel will explain where happiness really comes from. Because